0: Chapter six of the Grell Mystery This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Grell Mystery by Frank Fraust. Chapter six Lomont reeled dizzily, and his hand sought the support of the wall. To him Foyle's voice sounded unreal. He stared at the detective as though doubtful of his sanity. His life had been hitherto ordered, placid that there were such things as crimes murders detectives he knew he had read of them in the newspapers but hitherto they had only been names to him something to make the paper more readable he was a thin-faced man of about thirty with somewhat sallow cheeks on which there was now a hectic flush a high-pitched forehead that seemed to have contracted into a perpetual frown and colourless eyes The son of a well-known barrister, he had tried his luck in the city after leaving Cambridge. In a few years the respectable income he had started with had dwindled under the drain of his speculations, and it was then that a friend had recommended him to Robert Grell, who was about to take up his residence in England. james Lomont had jumped at the chance, for the salary was respectable, and would enable him to maintain a certain footing in society. Not Robert Grell! he echoed incredulously. Foyle fancied that there was some quality other than incredulity in the tone, but decided that he was mistaken. The young man's nerves were shaken up. So far as time would allow, he had gathered all there was to know about him. Lomont had not escaped the network of inquiry that was being woven about all who had associated with Robert Grell. No fewer than three chapters in a book the Criminal Investigation Department had commenced compiling were devoted to him. They lay with others neatly typed and indexed in Heldon Foyle's office— one was his signed statement of events on the night of the tragedy the last time he had seen grell alive was at half-past six when his employer had left for the st germain's club he himself had gone to the savoy theatre and returning some time after eleven had let himself in with his own key and gone straight to bed he had only been aroused when the police took possession of the house the third was headed inquiries as to career of and corroboration of statements made by james Lomont." the curtains had remained drawn and only a dim light filtered through into the room Foyle lifted a little green-shaded electric lamp from the table, and switched on the light so that it fell on the face of the dead man. "'Look,' he said, in a quiet voice, "'do you recognize your chief?' The young man flung back his shoulders with a jerk, as though overcoming his own feelings, and approached the body with evident distaste. His hands, slender as a woman's, were tight-clenched, and his breath came and went in nervous spasms. For a moment he gazed, and then shook his head weakly. "'It is not,' he whispered with dry lips— there is an old scar across the temple mr grell's face was not disfigured he stretched out a hand and clutched the superintendent nervously by the shoulder who is this man mr foyle what does it all mean where is mr grell foyle's hand had stolen to his chin and he rubbed it vigorously "'I don't know what it means,' he confessed irritably. "'You know as much as I do now. This man is not Robert Grell, though he is astonishingly like him. Now, Mr. Lomont, I rely on you not to breathe a word of this to a living soul until I give you permission. This secret must remain between our two selves for the time being.' "'Certainly.' In spite of his air of candour, Heldon Foyle had not revealed all he knew. He left the house pondering deeply. "'You see, sir,' he explained to the assistant commissioner later, No one who knew Grell had seen the body closely, the butler had taken it for granted that it was his master. It was pure luck with me. In looking through the records in search of this woman Petrovska, I hit against the picture of Goldenberg. It was so like Grell that I went off at once to compare fingerprints. They tallied, and then young Lomont spoke of the scar. Though what Harry Goldenberg should be doing in Grell's house, with Grell's clothes, and with Grell's property in the pockets, is more than I can fathom. Sir Hilary Thornton drummed on his desk with his right hand— "'Isn't this the Goldenberg who engineered the South American gold mine swindle?' he asked. "'That's the man,' agreed Foyle, not without a note of rueful admiration. "'He'd got half a dozen of the best-known and richest peers in England to promise support when we spoilt his game. No one would prosecute. He always had luck, had Goldenberg. He's been at the back of a score of big things, but we could never get legal proof against him. He was a cunning rascal—educated, plausible, reckless. Well, he's gone now, and he's given us as tough a nut to crack as ever he did while he was alive.' "'How did you get his fingerprints if he was never convicted?' asked Sir Hilary with interest. Foyle looked his superior full in the face and smiled. "'I arrested him myself, on a charge of pocket-picking in Piccadilly,' he said. "'Of course he never picked a pocket in his life. He was too big a crook for that. But we got a remand, and that gave us a chance to get his photograph and prints for the records. We offered no evidence on the second hearing. It was perhaps not strictly legal, but—' The superintendent's features relaxed into a smile. "'He never brought an action for malicious prosecution.' "'And about Grell, how do you propose to find him?' Foyle drew his chair up to the table and scribbled busily for a few minutes on a sheet of paper. He carefully blotted it and handed the results of his labours to Sir Hilary, who nodded approval as he read it. "'You think we shall catch one man by advertising for another?' "'I think it worth trying, sir,' retorted the superintendent curtly. "'The description and the photograph fit like a glove, and we shan't be giving anything away.' as heldon foyle passed through the little back door leading to the courtyard of scotland yard an hour later he stopped for an instant to study a poster that was being placed among the notices on the board in the door it ran police notice one hundred pounds reward harry Goldenberg, alias the honourable rupert baxter max smith john brooks etc wanted for murder description Age about 45, height about 6 foot 1 inches, complexion bronzed, square features, grey hair, drooping grey moustache, upright carriage. Note, Henry Goldenberg has travelled extensively and is an American by birth, but his accent is almost imperceptible. He speaks several languages and has resided in Paris, Madrid and Rome. The above reward will be paid to any person other than a member of any police force in the United Kingdom who gives such information as will lead to the apprehension of the above-named person. The superintendent had wasted no time. End of chapter six.